Our scriptures today come from two different places. We're going to camp most of the time in one of them, but I uh, want to invite you to turn uh, in your Bibles to Romans chapter 11. And uh, you'll find that if you don't have a, a Bible of your own or a phone with you um, with a Bible app on it, you'll find that on the Maroon Pew Bible on page 947. Page 947. Romans chapter 11. I'm going to begin um, at this uh, just amazing uh, doxology. If you are like me, you oftentimes have found life in Romans 12. And, and so because whoever broke out the chapters broke them out the way they did, you turn right to Romans 12 and, and, and you miss the therefore of Romans 12.1. He's, he's talking in 12.1 because of something that he's just said. And this is what he has just said. Paul, as would often happen for him as he was writing these letters to his beloved, would just become overwhelmed with an awareness of who God is. And in verse 33 of the previous chapter, he's been working in typical Pauline fashion. He's been, he's been going really deep, and then he just gets overwhelmed. Then he says, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable his ways. They're perfect, he's saying. Don't miss the, the judgments of God. Don't miss the word of God. And then, and then he, he quotes scripture. He reflects. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Like we could offer something to God. Or who has given a gift to him that somehow he might be repaid? And if you have it open, read with me, would you? For from him and through him and to him are all things. Would you do that again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. And he says, to him be the glory forever. Amen. Wow. So that's the foundation of that which we're going to study today. The foundation is this amazing awareness of the mind of God. And Paul continues, he says in, in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, he's begging us, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your worship. This is your spiritual worship. Wow. I want to stop for just a second because... Because most of what consumes us has to do with these bodies. Amen? And he's saying, don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by the needs of your bodies. He's kind of quoting Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink. or what. Don't get lost in your bodies, right? Offer, just as you are, offer your bodies to Jesus as an offering. This is worship. God, whatever you want to do with this broken body, do it. I offer it to you. But then he just gives us amazing insight into where to go next. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed instead by the renewing of your mind. That by testing in the ESV, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. 
what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word of the Lord. Keep a finger there because we're going to come back to that in a moment. Uh, And come over just for a second to uh, catch a glimpse of Peter's perspective on these same issues. In 1 Peter 1... Um, verses 13 through 16. Forgive me for kind of just cherry-picking out of the middle of a big, important message that Peter is giving, but, but it accents what Paul has already been saying. In 1 Peter 1, 13 through 16. Peter now, speaking about holiness as well, speaking about what God is asking of us, says this, Therefore, preparing your minds for action... Be sober-minded. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What I love about that is that it speaks to those of us who have entrusted ourselves to Jesus as well as those who might be here today who are just exploring, who are just searching, who are wondering if this is true, who are wondering if this possibility of a gracious God could be true. And he says to all of us, believers and people on the way alike, he says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children. And he doesn't mean that in a condescending way. That's that's his word for beloved as as obedient, beloved children. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, we've been focusing on that holy God all morning, you also be holy. Because, right, it's written, you shall be holy, God says, because I am holy. Wow. The very word of God. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your word. Well, I'm excited. We've been exploring together about what the impact of our life is as as we accept this new reality that we have been made new. That through faith in Jesus Christ, there we are a new creation, a miracle of God. And and I want to take you back for just a second. Go ahead and flash that on the screen if you would. Paul's saying, I urge you, I beg you, in view of this mercy which God has poured out on you, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is worship. Don't be conformed uh, to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But then look at this line, this little tagline, this little line that you thought wasn't that important, right? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We talked at length last week about the importance of our heart, our will, and, and, and the, the question that the aftertaste of a discussion about our will is what does it mean that our will has been surrendered to His? How do we capture His will? How do we know what His will is? I don't know about you, but even in the last couple of weeks, several times, I just cried out, God, what's your will in this matter? Sometimes they have been pretty large, pretty large things. Sometimes it's just been really small things. But, but I've, I've hungered to know what God's will is. 
Now, I have to say, as we begin a discussion about this, that there's been lots of, uh, lots of discussion about this going before us. And many people have noted that it's helpful, like we broke out a human being into spirit and soul and body, that we have discovered that it's useful to think about the will of God in three different ways, too. And, and let me try and bust that out for just a second for you. How do we know this will of God? There's three, maybe, understandings of the will of God that are important for us to have filed away. First of all, his sovereign will. Sovereign means uh, king or Lord, right? There is an aspect of God's sovereignty that his will is going to advance whether we care or not, right? Whether we participate or not, God is sovereign over every aspect of our life. And that, that train is moving and that train is going to a destination and that train will get to that destination. So um, there's an aspect of God's sovereign will that we have no, uh, no understanding of and we just go along for the ride on this thing. He is sovereign whether we care or not. But then there's aspects of his will that he reveals to us, too. And, and some people found it helpful to bust out one understanding of his will being his moral will. How should we then, how did Chuck Colson put it, how should we then live, right? How do you want us to live? And God reveals to us how he wants us to live. And, and beloved, um, as as uh, North American Christians in the 21st century here, we uh, find our, ourselves ignoring a lot of that. Uh, we, we look at it and think, well, that's archaic. That was for then, not now. But, but God doesn't look at it that way. The things that we ignore are things which keep us from experiencing him in all his glory. We'll pick up a couple of those in just a moment. But understand, there's, he actually gives us instructions on how to live. And, and we, we ignore them at our peril. But the place that most people wrestle with, like you heard me wrestling last week, the place that most people wrestle with is this understanding of his individual will for me. Let me just say real honestly to you, many people don't believe that God has an individual will for us, that he has a will for his people. And I respect them and, and, and understand what they're thinking, that our culture, among all cultures, especially emphasizes the individual will. It's all about me and many other cultures don't have that same accent, and many of those cultures are exploding. So I understand that, and I get that. But I do also see evidences in Scripture where God sovereignly intervenes in an individual person's life, a burning bush, as it were, and changes the course of humanity through that one person's response. So I'm going to walk that line of saying I, I do believe that God has an individual will. Most of it vastly is consumed in his sovereign and his moral will. If we can get that right, then we will be fine. But he does intervene. His Holy Spirit sometimes stirs and says, speak to that one. Or more often in my case, shut up. Don't speak. Just sit there. Right? Um, so uh, I want to just recognize that I hunger for that. I want to know your path for me today. When I wake up in the morning, my prayer is always, all that fills my soul is Jesus. Jesus, I need you today. I could spend this day how I want to, or I could spend this day how you want me to. Help me to be sensitive to that. 
So, so what do we know for sure in the midst of this discussion of individual and moral and sovereign will? Well, God's word speaks to his will in a couple of different places, whether you classify them as individual will or moral will or a part of his sovereign will. We know five things for sure, for sure. Someone says, you can't really know the will of God. Well, I can name five of them. I can name five of them for you, right? And to do that, we're going to have to slide over for a second to... Um, to the pastoral epistles and, and to also to uh, First and Second Thessalonians. We know for sure that we should avoid sexual immorality. We should avoid... Well, well I mean, does that really affect our, our spirit? God is spirit, right? Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. The body's not that important, is it? Yes, it is. And how we carry ourselves, um, especially sexually, matters. Now, do not hear judgment and condemnation. Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. But hear this for certain invi- invitation. God is inviting you to a deeper relationship with him. And sexual immorality clouds your ability to have that relationship. Um, sin breaks fellowship with God. And so, so we know that for sure. I'm not going to camp on that today. That's not the point of this. I would love to talk with you more if you're wrestling with some aspect of that. But, but Paul says, or says in, in 1 Thessalonians, we should avoid sexual immorality. 4.3, it is God's will that you be sanctified or made holy, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Um, so, wow, you can know the will of God. That's, that's part of the will of God. Look at the second one. This is from 1 Thessalonians 5.16. And the next three, I think, are going to come from there. Be joyful always. Be, that's God's will. That's God's will. Well, I've got, I, I, I got some things I'm worried about. No. Be anxious for nothing, right? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. Rejoice in the Lord, Paul says. I'll say it again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Right? Find your joy. Choose to find your joy in the Lord. And we're not going to do that today, but if you've not done that with us before, the difference between pleasure and happiness and joy in the Scriptures is huge. Don't settle for happiness when God is offering you joy. Do not settle for for pleasure alone when God is offering you happiness and joy as well. This is His will for you to rejoice, to be joyful always. But He continues there in 5.17. By the way, if you're a, a memorizing Scripture person and you like short Scriptures, this is the second shortest Scripture in the Bible. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Pray continually. Pray continually. You mean get down on my knees and bow my head and say, now I lay me? No. No. Remember our whole discussion of prayer. Make every breath you breathe. Breathe in the presence of God and breathe out your, your love for Him. Breathe out His Word to others. Let, let prayer be as natural to you as breathing. We learned when we were young that we, certain times when we pray, before we eat and before we go to bed at night or when we first wake up in the morning, 
Paul said, this is God's will for you. Pray all the time. Pray all the time. How did Keith Green put it? Make my life a prayer to you, God. I want to do what you want me to. Make my life a prayer. We should avoid sexual immorality. We should be joyful also, he says. We should pray continually. We should also give thanks in all circumstances. And we've we've studied this before. We're not giving thanks for all circumstances because all circumstances aren't necessarily good. But what we're learning to do is to give thanks in those circumstances because God is sovereign. And if He's allowing those circumstances to happen with us, there must be some good, some greater good that can come from that. So, So let's practice that discipline. We know it's the will of God. Let's practice that discipline of saying, in the midst, of the storm, God, I'm going to give you praise. I'm going to thank you. In the midst of the struggle, and some of you in huge struggles right this moment, in the midst of the fear, in the midst of the worry, in the midst of the struggle, I am going to choose to give you thanks. Thank you, God, because you're sovereign over my struggle. You're sovereign over my family. You're sovereign over our nation. You are sovereign over your world. And lastly, things, I mean, God, God's word has many more, but five that it specifically says this is God's will. He says this is God's will that we should do good. That we should do good. First Peter 2.15 says, For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. That's an ignorant talk of foolish men. Oops, I'm going to get myself in trouble. It's too late. I'm already out there. That's the ancient Greek word for internet, okay? Internet. Ignorant talk of foolish men. Um, Let's do good instead. Let's not be talk. Let's be action. Again, Peter says in 3.17, it's better if it's God's will to suffer even for doing good than for doing evil. It's better. Again, in Ephesians 6, 3, obey them not to win their favor when their eye is on you. He's in a discussion about slaves. But, but, but like slaves of Christ, do the will of God from your heart. What I'm talking about this morning is God's perfect will for us as unique individuals and for us as a unique community of faith. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could know day in and day out His perfect path for our life. Well, Apostle Paul gives us two things today. An incredible promise, a great promise, and a great plan for that. Now going to Romans 11, uh, 33 through 12, 2. What is the great promise? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. The promise is that you will know God's will. And I'm, I'm right or wrong, I'm going to draft that and accept that not just for His sovereign and His moral will. We know those are right. But also for His will for us as well. We can know that. We will know His will for our life. Then you will be able to test and approved. That's the promise that's before us. What's the plan? Then it's so familiar to us. A lot of us are going to check out. And I'm not sure if it's just me, but I've got to take my sweater off. I'm dying up here. So excuse me just a second. What is the plan? Something just shot across the room, didn't it? Yep. Um, what is the plan for that? He begins 
He begins by saying, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You have probably seen um, pictures and maybe, maybe even experienced that of people who obsess with the condition of their body. What's the problem with that? These bodies are deteriorating. Am I making that up? I have a confession to make. Um, when I first joined you, I was, I was 35 years old, and, uh, and I gave Ellen Lynch the hardest time. Uh, anybody, it was in love, I think. Uh, it was in love, but I gave her the hardest time, and she said, you just wait. You just wait. You're going to get yours, right? And, and she was a prophet, right? I turned 40 in your midst, and my eyesight immediately went, to, went away. And uh, I got glasses for the first time. And um, my only comfort was that I had enough hair at the time to hold my glasses on my head. But within that decade, that went away. And so did my glasses. And, and, and so now I station glasses throughout the building so that when I lose them, I can find more. My eyesight went away. My hair went away. I'm not sure what it is, but after years of, um, of playing racquetball and doing other things, my hearing is going away. Sometimes that works in my favor. Most of the time it doesn't. Uh, my hearing is going away. These bodies are going away. Don't put your trust off for them. Offer them. I'm sorry, I'm laughing. Um, when uh, I, I led in worship, I think it was last Sunday. It was two Sundays ago. Um, you know, I wasn't thinking about my body. I wasn't thinking about anything. And, um, and I went upstairs afterwards and used the restroom, washing my hands, looking in the mirror. And, and I had hairs growing out of my ears that were sticking out sideways. <laughs> the whole service. And I'm thinking, what are these? Antenna or something? What is the deal? <laughs> you know, what is the deal? And and I've, I've come to a, a conclusion that when I take a shower in the morning, my hair is wet, and, it, and it's not my real hair. It's not the real me. But I just, I'm sorry, I had to. I just had to laugh at myself. I said, this is not working. This body's not working. And Paul says it was never meant to work, right? The thing that people should see is not your body. Amen. The thing that people should see is your soul. And the body sometimes gets in the way. Um, the thing that God sees is not our body. He sees, remember that from 1 Samuel, he sees our heart. He sees our heart. So let's, let's solve this by saying, God, um, this, this decaying body is yours, however you would choose to use it. Um, I actually prayed that prayer this morning because um, for some reason something went haywire with my foot yesterday and, uh, and it was very painful and uh, it was still painful this morning. I said, God, just do something with this body, would you? And it just dawned on me as I was saying, he did. It doesn't hurt right now. He just answered that prayer. Now, I may be limping afterwards, but he just graced me with that thing. The body's not the issue, Dave. Your body's not the issue. Offer that body, saying, this is yours, God. If, if, you, wanna, uh, if you wanna cripple it, um, this crippled body will sing your praises. And if somehow you wanna hold this little bag of bones together for a little while longer, this bag of bones will, will sing your praises. Um, the second aspect of this is, is he says, 
understanding where your body fits in this thing. Don't let, don't let other people shape you into something that you were not meant by God to be. Don't conform to the world. And there's a bunch of really gifted Bible scholars in here. And, and I just want to um, do an aside for a second because you'll hear this. We are, our predestination is to be what? Conformed, right, to the image of Jesus. But, but that's a bad English translation. It's actually a completely different word there that he is using in that verse. Generally, when, when the word um, conformed is used like it is here, um, it means to be fashioned or shaped by external forces, to be fashioned or shaped. Like uh, some of you are in plastics, extrusion, you know, where you're conformed from the outside in. That's not extrusion, excuse me. Um, from the outside in. Uh, don't let that happen. Don't you let it happen by your own expectations. Certainly don't let the world conform you. Do not be conformed, but be what? Transform, right? The implication there is a cellular transformation that happens from the inside out and works itself out. Let the Holy Spirit, who has now has access to you, to your soul, let that soul be transformed uh, from the inside out. Do not be conformed to the world, uh, but be transformed instead by the renewing of your mind. That word transform is that metamor- metamorpho. Metamor, I can't say it. Metamorphosis in English. Let, it's the same word that we use in English for metamorphosis, which is that, uh, that, that cellular transformation that happens and takes a sedimentary rock and makes it slate, that takes an igneous rock and makes it something beautiful, completely different, right? Be transformed. How? How are we transformed? He tells us right here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Next week, we're going to talk about the renewing of our emotions. That's important, too. But right now, Paul is saying, start with your mind. Saturate your mind with God's truth. Saturate it. We have done an illustration here several times, so I did not do it again today. But remember where I put a, a glass of water out and put a little bit of coffee in it? And it turns the glass of water brown. And I say, how do you get the brown water out of the glass? Well, you pour in pure water until nothing remains. That's this idea. Saturate yourself. In the midst of a, a world, in the midst, in many of our cases, of our own minds, which would pollute our souls by our thought processes, he says, saturate your minds with God's truth. Pour the Word of God into it. Did, uh, do we have that slide? For, oh, you know, the slide up there does not have it. In, in your bulletin, you have a slide that shows your soul, and, and then it shows your body, and it shows a bunch of little lines between them. See that? Right? Um, what are those little lines? Well, every time we respond to our body, right, instead of what God is doing in our souls, then we create a pathway. Let's say, let's say, um, I was joking with Ellen Lynch, um, um, we sm- this might be a revelation to some of you, we smoked a cigar together, Ellen Lynch and I, when uh, Madeline was born. And she still blames me for every bad thing that's ever happened to her from smoking that cigar. But, um, but we smoked that cigar, and, and, and uh, yeah, I turned green and all those kinds of things because I'd never smoked anything in my life, and, and, um, and now I was turning green. 
but um, but there was something that was pleasurable about it, and and you could imagine that that um, and I'm, I don't any judgment at all for people that smoke or smoke cigar, but you could imagine that the next time I smoked the cigar, it'd be a little easier, right? That little line would get a little darker, and the next time after that, it would get a little easier, right? The next time after that, it'd become a freeway, right? It becomes easy. I'm not saying, I'm not judging one way or another that thing. I'm just saying that when we have these pathways between our body and our soul, they become these lines, right? And, uh, and if there's a little blank in that thing, put in the word flesh. The pathways from our flesh to our soul can become freeways. And like a path in the Sierras or in New Zealand, I think you guys went, um, when you walk on it long enough, it becomes hardened, right? It becomes hardened, it becomes wider, and it becomes natural, and, and uh, Paul is saying, we've got to transform that. We've got to do something different. Now, you should see above that also a set of lines between your soul and your spirit. Is that true? Am I making that up? Is that true? Yeah, yeah. And there's a blank in the middle of that, right? Um, that is now not your flesh, but those are the pathways between the spirit of God, which has been made your spirit new and your soul. That is the pathways of faith. When you believe God's word to be true and act on that, act on faith in what God's word has said, you, you make a line, right? And, 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 and when you repeat that and do that over and over again, or in new and fresh ways do that, you create pathways between now the spirit of God through your spirit and your soul instead of the world through your flesh to your soul. Do you see it? I know it's just an, a, a, a drawing, but it helped me kind of grapple with this. Do I want to live out of my faith or do I want to live out of my flesh. I want to live out of my faith because this flesh, as God constantly reminds me, is decaying. I do not want to live out of this. He's inviting us, saturate your uh, mind with God's truth. Accent the pathways between your spirit. That's my second point here. Submit yourself to the spirit of God, to the Holy Spirit. John says in John 14, 26, or Jesus says in John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom God, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and then will remind you of them. Right? Isn't that beautiful? He will teach you things you do not know about reality, and then will remind you of everything that I have said to you. As you submit yourself to the Holy Spirit, you'll make your mind available to the Spirit's prompting, to the Spirit's warnings. Thirdly, he says, sharpen your minds through interactions with other godly men and women. Proverbs 27:17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And there's just something beautiful that happens. I can look around the room and see people that have blessed me, that have sharpened me. Sometimes that was by saying, you're an idiot and you don't know what you're talking about. And I said, what? And, and together we sharpened one another to a deeper understanding of God's word and his truth. But community is so important. Being around other Christians is so important. I was just talking with Barb and Barbara and Andrew about the critical nature of Christian community. College students, if you miss this, you miss everything of finding Christian community where you are. We have found it here together. And as a result, day by day, we're sharpening one another, making each other more useful in the Spirit's hands. But, but then we go up to school and oftentimes we don't find that community. It's critically important to, to have these interactions with other godly men and women. 
But lastly, lastly, those words you love to hear, lastly, um, fix your mind on Jesus. Fix your mind on Jesus. Um, We've practiced fixing our eyes on him, looking to him. We've practiced fixing our our, uh, emotions on him, not being anxious. We'll talk more about this next week, but not surrendering to fear, but but instead um, fixing our mind on Jesus. Did you know God makes an incredible promise in Isaiah 26.3? Did I have that on there? Yeah. Um, You will... You, God, will keep in perfect peace. Come on up, worship team. You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. As we fix our minds on Jesus, then the other things begin to fall away. The... the uh, uh, the lusts of our flesh, right? The lusts of our eyes, the boastful pride of life. All these other things begin to fall away. And God says, I'll make you an amazing promise. I'm going to grant you shalom. I'm going to grant you wholeness. I'm going to grant you peace. Pray with me, would you? God, I imagine um, that there are many here who are exactly like me. We love you, but um, we don't always experience that peace. And God, um, the world, our own flesh, the evil one are all warring to take away that peace. They're warring for control of our minds. And as simple as it is, God, for us to determine what someone watches on TV by what they say, so our minds have been overtaken by some of those messages around us rather than being transformed by, by our faith in Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit, by the renewing of our mind. So God, wash over us, would you, today? We're grateful for all the things that have been a part of the formation of our thought processes. Many of those pathways between our flesh and our soul are good. Many of those pathways in our mind are good. Only you know, God, what it is that robs us of that good. Only you know what robs us of that peace. Even, God, even as we close in in worship, would you speak to us? If there's anything that we need to gently lay aside, God, would you grant us the courage and strength, the insight into your will. Your word says we can know it. Give us the insight to lay those things aside. And God, I pray that the aftertaste of our worship today would be nothing but the presence and the peace of Christ. For we ask it in his name. Amen.